Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. I'm your host, Shelley Craig, Program Director here at Faith and Grief. We hope the conversations and interviews you hear offer you some comfort and hope on your grief journey. Faith and Grief is a nonprofit that provides grief support programs online and partners with local organizations to offer our programs for their community. We offer monthly drop-in grief support gatherings, grief workshops, and getaway weekend retreats. Find out more about all our programs and this podcast at faithandgrief.org. Welcome to this episode of the Faith and Grief Podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Craig, and I am delighted to speak today with Jody Levy, uh, founder of Widows in the Workplace. Jody's husband was murdered in their family business um, by an employee he had demoted. And Jody went from a stay-at-home mom to now CEO of their company. Today we'll talk about her experience as a grieving parent, uh, dealing with grieving children, and how do you pick up the pieces after devastating loss? I read a little bit about Faith and Grief on the website. I I looked up your background on LinkedIn. Um, Looks like a couple Presbyterians founded it. I am Presbyterian myself. Um, So I I liked that because I don't know. Us Presbyterians aren't represented as much. No, we aren't. <laughs> yes. So, so I liked, I, I, I thought that was fun. Yeah. And I saw you have an arch every year in a park. Yes. So um, we started them. I don't know uh, if that's still going. Yeah, it's, we do it every year. Um, this will be okay. our eighth year. Uh, we started the Faith and Grief Arch um, in 2016. Um, we had, unfortunately, and you've experienced gun violence in your own story. Um, we had a mass shooting here in Dallas in summer of 2016. Um, after a march and vigil um, in protest over black men had been killed by police, and a gunman opened fire and, and unfortunately shot and killed five first responders. And we knew that as the holidays approached that year that, you know, the casseroles stopped showing up and the news media went away and all the hoopla around um, gun violence discussions had died down, unfortunately. And um, we knew the families would still be grieving. Um, Both those involved in this uh, tragic shooting, but also um, those involved in the other shootings that that had had been vigiled. And uh, so we started with a little teeny tiny uh, Home Depot, uh, Lowe's uh, backyard (laughs) arch. (laughs) And a lot of people showed up and we said, you know, this is something we need to do for the community. So we offer the arch every year during the traditional holiday season. And folks can come and write the names of loved ones, write messages and time to the arch. And then we also offer it to the whole world. People um, can go on our website and request a ribbon. It's just a wonderful event. I submitted a ribbon. Yay, yay. <laughs> um, I'm like, my daughter and I can come visit it. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Have her come down. Um, uh, we uh, do a kickoff uh, opening event uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And um, then we're open for three weeks in December. So okay. she'll get very comfortable with Clyde Warren Park. She'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's where all the food trucks are. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah. that'll draw her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not super close. Like, I will have to say that, you know, SMU students tend to hang out around the campus. And, the, of course, it's a lovely area of Dallas. But um, Clyde Warren Park's kind of like Central Park for Dallas now. Um, it's the main large park in the middle of downtown. So a lot of events happen there. Um, so it seemed like an ideal place, but, um, well, let's talk about your story because it's a remarkable story to go from, you know, owning a family business, uh, running a busy household and then tragedy, you know, happens and you suddenly are given way more than most people want to deal with. Um, but tell me about your husband first before we um, oh, talk thank about Thank you. I appreciate you asking. Uh, you do work with grievers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because that's such an important person, a question to ask those that grieve. I want to talk about my Steve. Steve, gosh, uh, you know, we met on a blind date back oh. in Chicago oh, fun. in the freezing cold. And he showed up wearing one of those fur 
uh, I'll, I'll say a Russian babushka hat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, like, that's not really a first date hat, but but uh, we were together ever since. Gosh, that was back probably in twenty two. Oh gosh, when was that? Twenty fourteen? No, not twenty fourteen. Uh, you can edit this. I met my husband in nineteen ninety four. Okay. Yes. So um, through It's Just Lunch, a blind date yeah. service yeah. And, and that exists today. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, we were married probably a couple years later. He was smart. He was funny. He had a way of commanding a room in a really warm uh way that you just want to go get to know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say I studied for our second date. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the Art Institute. I'm like, I better come up with some smart things to say here about this exhibit we're going to go see because he seems very excited about it. And I I know nothing. So that was, that was fun. Uh, we decided, and he was a transplant actually to Chicago. He came from Sonoma, California, mm-hmm. which is where he was born and raised. And had moved here for work. And we decided originally we were going to raise our kids in the city. And we dated for a couple years, got married at the University of Chicago. We had talked about that in our pre-call. And then we had our first daughter about a year later. And it was about that time. In fact, it was that time, right, when we had our first daughter that my husband had the idea to start. A business and the business you know was birthed actually on an airplane ride that he and I were taking to Puerto Rico and he was sketching on a napkin and all of a sudden he had this aha I've solved the supply chain problem <laughs> kind of kind of moment I'm like okay and he put a business plan together when he came home and decided that he was going to quit his very secure corporate job that he had at that moment to um, launch this business that was going to and really did revolutionize the way supply chain functions today uh, and evolved to having a technology component to it as well. And so the company was started in the year 2000 in the third floor of our home in downtown Chicago at that time. Oh, wow. That's a great story. Yeah. I love oh, it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, um, yeah, he, he was so warm and everybody loved him. Everybody loved him at the company. Uh, he had the patience of a saint, which was wonderful as a mother. Uh, Cause my patience would be questioned at some point at some times. Our, and I our, could go, honey, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I need you to, step in here so and he was wonderful with that he was a great a great dad to three girls yeah so you have three girls um the youngest is going to be starting college in the fall and um so tell me and I always hate so many times because I have to ask how someone's loved one died and I know briefly the story but there was he was um murdered at the workplace um, by a former employee um, who came in with that intention. Um, Yeah. And then suddenly you're a stay-at-home mom finding all this out. Yes. Um, It's it's one of those very surreal moments, Shelly. Yeah. Because we all, unfortunately, read about these kind of occurrences every day. Um, that had never happened in my community. It had never happened to anybody that I knew. And you're right. I was at home and got a knock on the door from a local police officer who um, really just said, he didn't tell me what happened to my husband. He just said, here's a piece of paper I with a phone number of a Chicago police officer. Your husband has been gravely injured. I need you to call. And that was it (laughs) in the way of information. And I called and that police officer just said, your husband is in surgery. Can you get a ride downtown? Like, well, of course, what happened? Wouldn't tell me hung up. And then the news called my cell phone Mm. like that fast and asked if I had a comment. And 
Shelly. Like that was, I, I don't know. I, I went into, I guess, survival mode and just plowing forward and tackling one thing at a time. And my dad came and picked me up and brought me downtown. And so, yes, my husband had been shot at our business in his office with in a private meeting with this gentleman who'd been with the company 10 plus years, uh, who had been demoted four days prior and came back to the office four days later and certainly with a gun and intended and did shoot my husband and then killed himself on the spot. Mm. And uh, you know, how do you, how do you prepare yourself for something like that? I, I guess you don't because you know you don't prepare yourself for my husband is going to get shot. But certainly there's there's a lot of things that were prepared in my life that I felt really grateful for. Um, we had moved to the suburbs in, prior to this mm-hmm. um, and to the town where I was born and raised. And so my family was right close by. Uh, my daughter's went to the school I went to as a kid. Uh, We went to the church and go to the church currently that I went to as a child. So having that immediate support in place was truly a blessing. And everybody really came out and supported us. And, you know, every, every single tree in our town was covered with a red ribbon to support Steve and our family and even our mail truck, the woman, I love our mail woman. She put a little red ribbon on her truck, stayed there for years until finally the weather, you know, wore it away. And that's just the kind of impact not only that he had on the community, but the uh, brought it a lot closer to home for a lot of people because that doesn't happen. You don't think it happens to people you know or people in your community, and it does. Yeah. And I, I think that's so true because it, it sounds like it turned not only uh, your own personal grief was happening, but the community was grieving too. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah, and the employees. And what people forget or don't really think about is the employees are the first responders in these kind of situations. And... I, the, I mean, this happened in the downtown loop of Chicago and the police closed the area around our building, which, you know, there were tens of thousands of workers that were in this area that had to be evacuated. And I, those workers remember what happened and their loved ones were scared and calling them because until everybody kind of knew like, okay, the situation's been stabilized. It wasn't this broader right. thing. I mean, there's this fear that ripples through everybody and um, not only the employees, their, their families, but, you know, these are memories that they're going to have forever indelible in their mind too. Yeah. So the ripple effect of these, this, this, and these unfortunate occurrences that happen continually is extremely broad. Yeah. And I think that's just it we've gotten to the point that this is a daily occurrence in one form or another. And we're constantly having to deal with it in one community after another. Um, We are. And it's so, it's so sad and scary. It's scary for, I mean, so many people and children, like, I mean, my daughter was nine at the time and the world didn't become a safe place for her any longer. And, children in schools today who have to do active shooter drills and all yeah. of those things. I, I, I can't imagine, <laughs> you know, what that's like yeah. as a child. And yeah. Well, we have kids about the same age and I mean, their, their life has been this almost the whole time. Um, that's right. My kids, you know, they said, Oh, this, you know, we would, talk about, oh, this is uh, fire drill week. Oh, this is tornado drill week. Oh, and this is active shooter week. Um, and they wouldn't call it active shooter, but the kids did um, because they knew they knew what it was about. <laughs> they would call it lockdown drills and stuff, and uh, but they were like, we knew what it was about, sadly. Um, yeah. It's so hard. But talking about that, 
what was it like for you? Um, our one of our co-founders, um, Reverend uh, Doctor Doctor Reverend Doctor uh, Fran Shelton, uh, one of the Presbyterians we talked about earlier. Um, <laughs> she always says that people grieve the way they live. Um, and that's sometimes difficult for people around them because if they were a highly demonstrative, emotional person, they're probably going to continue that as they grieve. If they're very stoic, they're probably not going to be. If they're doers, they're going to keep doing. If they are folks that struggle with that and they can't continue, you know, they're always going to do that. So it sounds like you got mm-hmm. into survival mode, like you said, and so you were used to doing mom work and was ready to, to do. Um, yeah, but... Not so not only I was a stay at home mom at that time. And then all of a sudden I'm running a big business Yeah, uh, because it was, uh, we were the largest shareholders and that was the plan. I mean, the plan was only if something happens to Steve, I'm in charge. That's it. No, no more details Shelley, than that. And so, you know, that day when all of this was happening and my husband didn't pass away right away, but he never regained consciousness. You know, I'm worried about my kids and having to call his mother to tell him, tell her what happened. And I mean, all of those steps. And then the next morning I'm like, oh my goodness, I have a business too. <laughs> like, ah, <laughs> uh, and, and I, you know, I am a fixer. I am a doer. I'm a problem solver. I'm a get things doneer, and that's exactly what I did. I'm like, okay, great. Oh, not great, but this is this is these are the cards I've been dealt. How am I going to move forward? How am I going to help my girls move move forward? And we weren't even thinking of moving forward at that moment. Shall we? we yeah, no, but yeah. It, yeah, bye. It, it, it's um, hard. Um, <laughs> we have folks who come to our programs very early in their grief um, sometimes, and they'll always say, I know this is really soon. And we're like, well, when you're ready, you're ready. So we're, we don't have a, just like there's not a timeline for grief, we don't have a timeline for when you need to show up for support. Um, but at the same time, you kind of, you know, you don't know as you, in those first few days, weeks, months, years even, um, what this is going to be like. Um, so yeah. you got this all laid out in front of you. I, I'm going to assume that your first thing is, what do I do with the kids? You know, how do I, yeah. what do I, do, what do I do for them? You know, like, yeah. yeah. And, and what I really did was I, I mobilized, you know, our last name is Lavoy, team Lavoy. And cause I knew I'm only one person. There's only 24 hours in one day. I, I have to rely on others to help and know that they're there for my kids. They're there for all of these other things that had to happen. And, and that included, you know, doctors and therapists and professionals. And, you know, I, I just mobilized the, the army of supporters. I, I really did. And same thing at the business. And I didn't run a business. Fortunately, there was an amazing team there and which, which, you know, turned the corner for the business. Absolutely. But I also needed support professional support Mm. for myself too because I didn't I didn't have any of that I didn't have a LinkedIn I didn't have a resume I didn't have any of that like it's like what do you do (laughs) like where do I start yeah 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 and all of a sudden people are like well who's Jody LaVoy nothing out there so I had to establish all of that and I joined a professional group that really helped me um with uh, okay I have to sell a business now how do I do that um so I talked to a lot of my professional friends who who had been through that. And so really just being willing and able to ask for help, which is very, very hard for some people. Um, I didn't even question that because I knew there's, there's just no way I could do any of this Shelly without help. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, and I think that speaks to uh, the creativity of motherhood. Um, we learn very quickly when you're trying to just be a early mom by yourself. It doesn't work very well. <laughs> you have to go seek out yeah. help um, and support in some way uh, to do that. And I think that adds to it. Um, and, yeah. you know, I'm just, I'm in awe of just being able to pick up after this type of loss and uh, keep everything going. I mean, Talk about spinning plates. I mean, (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. There were so many Shelly. And there were times where it'd be like, a bad thing happens. A bad thing happens. A bad thing happens. I'm like, I I just start laughing. I'm like, okay, bring it on because I'm just going to keep, you know, whack-a-mole and all this stuff down because I don't know. I, for me, the, there was no, I, I wasn't going to fail. I wasn't going to let the company fail. My kids fail. My family fail. Me fail. There was no way. Um, you know, and I think part of that was hurt. Mm. I was hurt about and angry about what happened with my husband. And so I think definitely came up in therapy, Shelly, that, you know, some of this anger was driving, like this gentleman took my husband's life. I wasn't going to let him take these other things as well. And be that what it may, that I I know that that was a a driver. Yeah. Well, I think anger uh, and grief is such a common feeling and it manifests itself in so many different ways. Um, and, but it's so good to hear you be able to express that. Um, part of, uh, this process of grief is asking for help. And also part of it is acknowledging the feelings and the experiences that you have. And one of our roles at Faith and Grief is really just to offer opportunities and space for people to share those stories, to share that information, to have a place to talk about their loved ones, talk about their experiences, but also just name the feelings. Um, and we're all yay uh, therapy. Don't get, uh, you know, uh, I'm like, bring everybody. <laughs> Me too. Um, my joke is <laughs> bring Freud and Jesus. Let's go. Um, Cause you know, you're going to need all of them. Um, uh, you know, throw in a little uh, mother Teresa if you need to, or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, you gotta, uh, you gotta get a tribe together. Um, kind of like you said, team Lavoie, like you gotta, get everybody on board um, because it's not, it's not something you can do by yourself. Um, You can, but it's, it's not fun. No. And having that great support system, you know, that you help facilitate is so important because like this feeling of anger, I'm not an angry person. I wasn't taught how to be angry. So had I not had this support around me, I might be like, Ooh, anger. Don't know what to do with that. Is that right? Is that wrong? But really being able to lean into, yeah, that's where I am right now. And, and sharing that with others, Mm -hmm. which also helped them know, yeah, you know what, I I'm feeling angry too. And that's okay. Like that's part of this process. Yeah, exactly. So um, what inspired you to start the widows in the workplace organization? Yeah. Well, so a few different things. Number one, as I, you know, I became a, a female executive in a pretty male dominated space. Yeah. And so I knew that one component of what I wanted to do after I sold the business uh, was to help professional women, you know, come into their own and, and be able to stand up with confidence in a boardroom surrounded by a bunch of men. And so that was one component of it. And secondly, I, I learned a lot in my widow journey and, and I wanted to help other widows be able to, if I could shorten and condense that process for them, but also in doing that by, by sharing a lot of information, because as you know, there's so much out there that it can get overwhelming when you're grieving, like, do I read books? Do I listen to podcasts? Do I go to groups? Do I go to therapy? Do I, and you're like, whoa, I'm just trying to get up every day and get a shower. Yeah. Where do I? Well, and, <laughs> and I'm exhausted. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, there's so much. And, you know, we live in a time where we have access to everything, which is, I think, part of our issues these days is we have too many things to look at. But at the same time, you're already in a state of overwhelm to begin with. And then people start throwing advice and all kinds of other things at you. And you're like, I don't know where it is. And that's why, you know, having a guide that can kind of uh, weed through some of it, I think can be very helpful for some people because it just, you know, it can give you, look, here, just read this. Um, We joked years ago because we had some of our groups that host our program, like, we want a welcome packet for new grievers. And I was like, hmm. I said, okay, so here's the idea. You can take this, this, and this and put in a package, but I want you to put it on the front, read later. 
um, because if you handed me a package when I got there, I would be like, oh, I'm supposed to do something with this? Okay, what do I, I guess I have to read it all. i got to do all this homework. Oh, my gosh. Don't do that to them. Um, I said, what you can do is you can say, hey, there's a welcome pack over there. If you would like to pick one up, it has some interesting information. Give people that space to make their own decision whether or not they're ready for it. Um, yeah. Because that's the other thing. You've got to be ready for whatever kind of support and help that you seek out. Um, initially, it's it's survival, like you said. <laughs> it's like, I got to make sure kids get to where they need to go. I need to make sure there's dinner on the table. I need to make sure I got a shower. But then at some point, as we start to reorganize, uh, as we're grieving, you kind of have to figure out, am I ready for this? Like, can I go there? Can I explore my anger um, that I've suddenly, mm-hmm. wow. Um, and I think that's so, so important to talk about the anger part, because I think especially as women, we aren't given permission to be angry because we're supposed to be nice yeah. and quiet. Um, I'm neither, Well, some people say I'm nice, but I'm not very quiet. Um, <laughs> but you learn these things. But in the work environment, I think we have not, this is one area of human resources, one area of employee uh, engagement that I think most organizations struggle with. Um, how do they support people who are grieving in their communities? Three days of bereavement so care, uh, three days of bereavement leave, um, which that's pretty good in most uh, Fortune 500s, if you get that, um, isn't quite enough. Um, Not at all. No. And it's usually right after the loss. And then, yeah. you know, maybe you use that and it's the funeral and then all of a sudden you're back at work. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And that transition is it's a huge transition to go back to uh, it's been reported to me and I know my in my own grief journey it, it's similar in that early grief you're in so much of a fog and everything everything else is moving around and you're sort of like in this like out of body experience going on and you walk back into a room full of cubicles it feels kind of ridiculous yeah 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 it does and yeah and and when you go through a loss, you really, and, and certainly not like right away, right immediately after grief, but you really reevaluate what's really important and what's yeah. not really important because life is, life all of a sudden is a lot shorter than you thought it would be. And so that reevaluation and reprioritization process is important, but getting back to the importance of grief support in the workplace. Um, and we all know grief changes your brain. Yeah. You know, there's neurological changes that happen in there. Yeah. Um, so it it's not just this person feels sad. Like there's there's <laughs> tangible things that have happened. And so beyond just giving an employee three days off, five days off, there's. I mean, I would certainly love to see a much more tiered approach of you know how. How can we certainly help the employee, but how can we also help the people who are trying to support the employee, the coworkers and the managers? And, um, and, you know, this can be for the, for the employee, their, their brain isn't going to be functioning like it used to. It's not going to be firing in all cylinders. Their productivity is not going to be there. So if there's a way to take off some of their workload, um, if that's what they want, because sometimes people are like, man, I'm back at work. This is my place to like leave grief over there and focus on work. And somebody taking away work from me would make me not feel good. So understanding where the employee is with that is important to give them that space. Um, But for that employee, that's like throwing themselves all into their job, making sure that they're, you're encouraging them you know, just take time for them, some, some self-care space, but also asking them, you know, how are you doing? And I, and I prefer the question, how are you doing today? That's my question. There there you go. (laughs) Everyone that listens, they'll be like, oh, she's been listening to Shelly's podcast. Well, I I started doing that uh, early in the pandemic because every time I'd introduce somebody, I'd be like, well, I'm not going to ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing today? (laughs) Like, and my, I'd say, how are you doing really? Cause like it, you know, like, I'm past being like nice and everything. I want to be like, is was today? Did today really? Was it? Did it suck? You know, was it bad? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Or with a, a good and, day. You know, I want to celebrate a good day too. Um, you know, because uh, those are few and far between sometimes. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's good. But I, absolutely. I love what you're saying about not only supporting the employee, um, you know, having policies in place to do that, but also whether it's education or nothing less just permission for other employees and managers and executives to, you know, build the conversation about how can we support you and, you know, for a good manager, you know, make the note in your notebook that in a month or so you need to check back in with this person. Like if you have the weekly one-on-ones with them, fantastic. You have that opportunity. Not everybody has that, but you're going to need to re engage and re ask the questions. And we just have to get away from, Ooh, if I talk about their, their loved one, or if I talk about their death, it's going to be it's going to be awful for them. No, we want to talk about our loved ones, and we'd rather you say, "Tell me about your husband," than mm-hmm. pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, right. Especially in the right, and so many, so many people pretend they just don't know what to say. I know, or they're afraid of, uh oh, this person might start crying, and then I'm going to be really uncomfortable, and I don't know what to do with that. And so there's this. There's this fear and just if we could in society in general have this broader, open, more conversation about grief and death and dying and and making it more normalized, <laughs> that would be extremely helpful. Um, I want to get back to the business part a yeah. little bit because the importance of creating empathetic leaders mm. is is so important in the workplace and is something that um, can challenge some business leaders sometimes. And, you know, I'm in this professional group with a bunch of CEOs and I'll tell you 50% of them are like, I need to be working on being a better empathetic leader, which doesn't just pertain to grief, but, but really is going to help the organization in its entirety and so important. And then for those, business owners out there, like if you want to take the soft stuff aside, the numbers prove like if you want to retain your employees, I I looked up a number, I think it said 54% of employees who don't feel supported by their employer during a grief event, actually it's 56 are more likely to leave their company. Absolutely. And the cost of turnover is so expensive. And one in four employees are grieving at any one time. Yeah. And 25%. I would, I would say that might be even a little bit higher right now. And I would say 56% yeah. reported that. I would say right. the actual number is much higher, except they didn't use that. They they themselves, as a griever, said, I'm leaving because of X, not because how I've been treated in my grief, even though that might actually be the reason. They don't want yeah. to admit that it was the grief that made them realize this is not working and I'm not going to work. Absolutely. Here. I'm not going to work here anymore um, because whatever systemic issues were there before the death event, they're only amplified afterwards. Yes. And yes. Yeah. And others, other yeah. employees are going to see how that grieving employee was treated and whoa, you know, that's going to have this ripple effect again. Yeah, because it will. Um, Especially if, you know, we're talking corporate situations, but uh, labor in so many different levels. Um, If you're an hourly worker, you don't get these options. Um, I I know poor Starbucks doesn't get a lot of um, love sometimes, but I will have to say that they have an interesting bereavement policy. If there is a death of an employee at a location, uh, they get to take off the time, but the whole staff can take off the time, and they will actually. I didn't know that. They That's will actually wonderful. bring employees from other locations to run the store for them. And I love that. I love that. I mean, you know, not that everybody has that ability because of their systems, but anytime that we can build in an acceptance of talking about bereavement, that it's okay to take the extra five days, or that, like you said, how they manager. I mean, most people leave their job 
sadly, because of their manager, not because the work is unsatisfying. It's that, you know, I can deal with not so such uh, inspired work, but if I'm feeling heard, seen, and supported, I'm probably going to stay. But yeah. if I'm not, you know, and hey, managers, listen up. Um, you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to try. And that's, yes. that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. So what are you, what are you doing now in that space as far as um, equipping leaders? Um, is this something that you're passionate about kind of um, as an area to focus on with your business? So it is from a standpoint of I work one-on-one with widows to help them, um, I like to say, move their grief to greatness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that takes on a variety of forms for different, different women, depending upon where they are. But most women come to me where they're, it's not just the immediate loss. They're kind of like, okay, I'm kind of getting the day-to-day done, but I'm not feeling you know, I'm feeling like there's got to be more out there because I'm just a little flat. And how can I get that spark back into my my personal life, that joy in my personal life, that spark back into my work? And many come to me too and are like, question the work that they were doing because perhaps that's not the direction that they want to go anymore. And they may be uncertain about what that direction is. And so we'll work on that together. And uh, we're lucky in the days of Zoom here, Shelly, (laughs) that I I work with women all over the country. So it's easy. Yeah. And that's the beauty too. Uh, You know, there are very few uh, silver linings during the pandemic, but uh, one of the things is uh, at least we had technology, even though as much as we hate it in so many ways, um, there wasn't another time for this to work better. Um, you know, even just a few years ago, this wouldn't have worked. Um, and we have access to so many things, which is also overwhelming. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask you, as a grieving parent and a working grieving parent, what was your experience and what were some of the challenges that you were surprised by in, in that role as that person? I guess... Okay, so there was a lot that my yeah, I was gonna say, girls went through. This is a whole other <laughs> podcast episode, probably. <laughs> um, and my kids at the time were 9, 12, and 15. Mm. And so my oldest was entering high school, which on a good day is, is a challenging right. time. And sure. then you add this kind of occurrence. And what people forget, too, is how much your life is, becomes under a microscope. Everyone knows your business because... You know, this happened to my husband. It was in, I mean, it was in the world news. I got a call from a friend in Paris who heard about it. So there wasn't much hiding. And when you're a kid, you just kind of want to be a kid and do your thing and not have everybody, yeah. you know, you, you walk into a room and you're like, oh yeah, there's Sarah. Her dad was murdered. Like you don't want to be that person. And so that was, that was challenging for my kids. I, surprised, I guess. No, but I hadn't really thought about it, Shelly, because that hadn't been in my purview. Um, What is a beautiful, uh, I guess I'll call it a silver lining too, is my girls really stepped up. Like um, they knew I'm it. (laughs) So there wasn't really a lot of butting heads with mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was a lot of helping, um, you know, because I'm working and trying to take care of them and me and so, you know, my nine-year-old was making lunches. They were helping make dinner. They were, I, they had chores and they were doing it and not giving me any business about it because <laughs> we all had to pitch in. And so that was really nice. They, be, they are very independent mm. um, beings. Uh, they had to be. They are much stronger at advocating for themselves because I wasn't, able to hover and be, you know, the helicopter parent. Um, and I was that parent, Shelly. <laughs> oh, all well, well yeah. I mean, so. you know, it, it, but, but it, oh. it's encouraging to hear that because I think for children that experience a death as a child, especially of a parent, there is an immediate 
maturity that happens, um, whether it expresses itself or not. Um, and sometimes that can be a very positive process, and sometimes it can be a more challenging process. Because um, like you said, I mean, what teenager wants to be noticed anyway? And they especially don't want to be noticed with a tagline. You know, like, it, it's hard enough being 15. Um, yeah. It just be, because yeah. that's really all they want to do. They want to be, most of them want to hide, um, you know, and, yeah. and we. And I was lucky. I think this is, this is one of the things that I'm proud of as a parent. Yeah. Too, is I looked at all of my girls differently from a, what, what is the best education? And I'm talking like high school journey for them. Um, you know, when I was growing up, it's like, you go to this school and then you go to this high school and then you go to this college. And it wasn't a one size fits all for my kids. And I allowed them and, and frankly, I was able to Shelly, which is a gift, able to pursue some other, you know, not in our neighborhood schooling options. And in fact, my middle daughter ended up deciding that she wanted to go to boarding school and she went to boarding school in New Hampshire in the mountains, in the middle of nowhere. And I'd never been to boarding school. I didn't know what that was about. Um, but that was really a good fit for her. And so just allowing them and having the ability for them to, to be able to be nurtured and supported in, in their individual ways. Yeah. Well, I think I would call that a parent win um, yeah. because <laughs> like you said, so many times, and not just in education, but definitely in education, we just sort of follow whatever the path is that's presented to us. But grief is a very individual thing, as is in education. And for you to be able to kind of identify they each needed their own path um, is is a gift to them too. And like yeah. you said, they learned how to advocate for themselves, which to me is a life skill that everyone, you know, needs to do as best we can for our kids is, you know, help them learn to advocate for themselves. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, grief can afford us that opportunity, um, but not everybody mm -hmm. takes it. Um, no, yeah. and it's important lesson for grievers yeah. too, yeah. to advocate for ourselves because, a lot of times it's easier to just be like, okay, I'm going to go do that. I don't want to do that, but I don't want to upset people. No, you have to take care of you at when you're, well, always, but when you're grieving, especially, and it's okay to say no. It's okay to say, you know what? My body is telling me I need to go to bed now. Yeah. <laughs> so go to bed. And then do it. <laughs> well, but I, I think that's so important. And I'm sure with the people that you work with, especially for women, we are, it's not encouraged, at least until just recently in our culture, for women to say no um, effectively, I would say. You know, you can say no for certain things, but certain things you're not allowed to because, you know, we're expected to do everything, um, whether it's implicit or not. In fact, most of the time it's not. Um, and it's, one, hard to ask for help, but it's also hard to set up boundaries and set up, be able to say no and mean it, you know, because... There's even that, like, oh, is it a real no or is it just kind of a no? Let me keep pushing and seeing if you'll change your mind. You know, it. there's so much power in just being able to admit, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yes. And and being comfortable with that in your skin and not caring, hey, this person, you know, might not like that. I just said that. Yeah. Too bad. This is what, this is what I need. Yeah. And I... Uh, I had a group uh, just a few weeks ago, and one of the women was struggling with that. And I said, you know, if you if you need an out, you can always say that that lady at the grief retreat told me that I could tell you this, um, which I said, I'm glad to be a scapegoat. Go for it. Um, but the other thing is, I said, sometimes it's this is a no for today. It doesn't mean it's a no forever. It's just that for today, I really can't do that. Or today, this just doesn't feel like something I can do. And I said, you're kind of giving them the – it's a nice idea, but it's still a no. <laughs> right. And so, I like that. It's, yeah, it's a know, no for today. It's a no for today. Because mm -hmm. sometimes it's just today. You know, it might be a great thing to do in a year. might be a thing I can do sometime, but I can't do it today. Um, and I think it gets down to, and I'm sure you see this in your own work, it's the communication in grief 
that is honestly one of the biggest challenges. You know, learning how to advocate for yourself, learning how to ask for help, but being able to communicate with those around you, both in the workplace and in your personal life, kind of where you are today, and for people to believe you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and so, and something because um, obviously your role changes when you're yeah. grieving, and it, it, in the case if you've lost a spouse. Um, what is your new relationship with your in-laws? Mm. And because that your your role in that, in that place changes. And so establishing yourself in whatever that may be for you, and that is is important and can be tricky sometimes. Yeah. But it 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 serves you and the grief to be willing to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always give people the structure uh I said, you know, use the scaffolding that, hey, I've discovered as I've been grieving that this is how I'm thinking about this. I know it may not be the way you're thinking about it, but I want you to just consider whatever it is. And use that as sort of like a parenthesis for I'm about to tell you something you don't want to hear. (laughs) Or I'm about to tell something really exciting, but I want you to appreciate the fact that I'm willing to tell you, you know, it's, it's just, it's really hard. What have you seen with some of um, the people that you've worked with, some of um, some of what they've reported as far as struggles, as far as being in the workplace and kind of getting back in the groove like you talked about earlier? Um, I think we have some folks that listen to our podcast um, who are, uh, they're prepping for their grief. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, so if she tells me all the things that I could uh, be on the lookout for, I'll be ready. And I always tell them, yeah, you can do that, but I'm just going to tell you it's not 100%. So, um, but what, what are some of the things that you've been like, you, you consistently hear from folks that you're working with? Yeah. So certainly I, I hear from my clients that they're willing and able and or we work on setting boundaries around what what their work looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a client that had a job that required her to travel some. And when she became the, the sole parent, that couldn't happen anymore. And so she had to have a conversation with her, her employer. And um, they adjusted for a little bit. They adjusted for a little bit. And then she decided, you know what? my family and the way I'm balancing what I want to do with my family and my daughter is more important than this, than this role over here. And this is where I need to be now going back to where that, that doesn't mean you're taking your career off in a, you know, you're ruining your career trajectory. If you don't this, that, and the other thing, like, I guess, advice would be not to think about it like that. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Think about it today. What do you need today? Because building yourself up and giving you the support you need, your family needs um, is only going to make you stronger later, sooner, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. And I think that's so true because uh, as that role changes, both in within the family, but also at work, you know, you start to realize I can't travel or I can't, you know, I can't be there in the evenings all the time. You know, th- those kind of roles, you just have to communicate that with, you know, leadership and things like that. So they're, they're aware, but also you need to decide that. And sometimes it's not, it's not like a, I made a decision today. It may be a process. Mm-hmm. It may be that, okay, we have to try this for a while. Um, that didn't work. Let's try this for a little while and see if this works and sort of shift there. So it's good to hear. Um, I love the fact that you're talking about possibilities um, mm-hmm. and not limitations. Um, right. It, and that pertains to the future because yeah. that as a grieving person, you're like, what is my, what is my future? Um, you know, my husband and I are, you know, we had all these plans yeah. and we were going to retire here and then we were going to do this. And, now what? Like, and so that is scary for scary. a lot of widows. And so, and thinking about retirement, you know, whether that's in 20 years or in five years, right. 
there it's still this kind of looming thing that weighs on you. And so getting some perspective and work around that is is important. Yeah. And I think having somebody sort of an objective voice um, or partner to, to do that helps because sometimes in the mess of your own stuff, it you just like it just looks like a bunch of papers. It looks like a bunch of stuff on the screen. But if someone else who doesn't have that uh, emotional attachment to it completely um, can say, oh, no, this is what I see. You know, this is it's it's really, you know, I see that we can work here. You can do this. And hey, it sounds like the job that you currently have isn't what you need right now. Like you need some more flexibility or you need to work from home or whatever the circumstances may be. And sometimes it just takes that objective voice to help uh, people explore that. So I think. uh, And help put a plan together. Yeah. And that's also scary. Like, oh, that's great. That sounds like a great idea. And practice, Shelly. I have no idea how to get there. Right. (laughs) And how do I do that exactly? You know, Mm -hmm. most people, because they haven't been a widow before, um, when the practical side of grief is a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast, by the way. Um, I said the paperwork is ridiculous. Um, and if you own a business or involved in a leadership position, let's just pile on some more. Um, it, it's almost like we need a book for that, but it's so individual. It would, it needs somebody like you that can help weed through all that. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been a delightful conversation, Jody. Thank you so much. Um, I love what you're doing. I can't wait to share it with our audience. Um, and um, congratulations to your daughter. Um, she'll love SMU. Yeah. Everybody does. It's, <laughs> Thank you. It's a wonderful campus. And um, it's beautiful, too. Not as pretty as University of Chicago, but um, that's my own <laughs> personal opinion. But uh, no, uh, yeah. but uh, it's great. And she'll she'll love her time there. Um yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for having me, Shelly. This yeah. has been so easy. Oh, good. Conversation yeah. oh, with I'm, you. I'm glad. I'm glad. That's how we try to do this. We hope this episode of the podcast offered you some comfort and hope. Would you like to support us? Go to faithandgrief.org slash give and offer a donation for our next episode and become a podcast producer. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief Podcast. We make this possible. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief Podcast. Your support makes this service available to all who are grieving. If you'd like to support the Faith and Grief Podcast, go to faithandgrief.org slash give and offer a donation for our next episode.